Jewish Audio on Chabad.org. Let's talk about the cheeseburger. Every Jew knows we don't eat a cheeseburger. Whatever my level of kosher observance may be, a cheeseburger, fat, no way. What is it about the cheeseburger? In this week's Torah portion, we learn about the commandment not to mix milk and meat. What is it about mixing milk and meat? One of the most important things to know is that while there may be different explanations and insights that can help us understand why we don't mix milk and meat, ultimately it's known as a chok, which means a statute beyond logic. This is God's desire. We don't ask any questions. This is what he wants. This is what we observe. He doesn't want a drop of cheese to fall on a burger, and therefore we don't do it to fulfill God's desire. At the same time, the Torah and in its infinite wisdom helps us understand and gives us some insight so we can even further appreciate the meaning of this commandment. So I would like to share with you a Kabbalistic interpretation. What is the problem of mixing milk and meat? Kabbalah tells us that milk represents chesed, kindness. Meat represents gevura and severity. You can even see it in its color. Meat is red, blood red, which represents discipline and severity. And milk is pure white, which represents kindness and love. The Kabbalah explains to us that because milk and meat represent such opposite elements of kindness and severity, chesed and gevura, therefore we don't mix them together, we have clear boundaries, we don't blend them together. What's very interesting is that according to Jewish law, if you have a cup of milk, you're allowed to have meat shortly afterwards. You have to rinse your mouth, you have to wait a little bit, some opinions say 30 minutes, some say an hour, but the idea is that you could have meat shortly afterwards. But if you have meat, you have to wait six hours before you can have dairy. What is the deeper meaning here? There's a message for us. You see, it's very important for us to recognize that our default status has to be chesed, has to be kindness. When we deal with our spouse, our children, our loved ones, or anybody that we influence, we have to remember that our default, our natural tendency, our initial approach always needs to be chesed, kindness, love, and closeness. If need be, we also introduce gevura, discipline, severity, consequences, and distancing. But the base, the beginning, the baseline, the natural instinct needs to be chesed and kindness. This explains why if you have milk, you could surely afterwards have meat. Because if you establish a relationship that's based on love and kindness and connection, then you can introduce the severity, the gevura. But if you start with meat, if you start with the gevura, the severity, the consequences, the negativity, then it's going to be a difficult journey. It's going to take time until you can introduce chesed and really establish a loving relationship. The baseline needs to be chesed. You need to always reach out to another person, to another Jew with love, with kindness. Yemin mikarevet. And then afterwards you introduce the discipline. But if you flip the order, then the relationship becomes very difficult. And unfortunately, a relationship that's based on severity, based on gevura, based on discipline, on harsh discipline, it becomes difficult to introduce the love at a later point. That's the message I want to share with you this week. Love, give, share, draw them near. And when you do that, when you do your part to express a true sense of connection, love, bonding and closeness with your fellow Jew, you will see miracles happen. On that note, I want to introduce this week's story. This week's story connects with the theme of kosher. It's all about kosher. But it also reminds us in such a vivid, powerful way that if we give, if we love, if we share, then everything will work out at the end to the extent that we will have a dramatic, incredible long-term impact 
we would never expect. So open up your hearts, my friends, as I take you back to a story that took place around 40 years ago. There was a very special Jew who lived in Brooklyn, New York. His name was Rabbi Yitzchak Nemes. He was a merchant, a businessman who dealt with the stamp business and the stamp industry, serious business, and he was also a devout chassid and a very, very special Jew. It turns out that one day it was suggested for him to meet a certain individual so that he can perhaps establish a business relationship with that person. Sure enough, he shows up at the meeting to meet Mr. Tenkel, who now potentially can embark on a partnership with him in the world of stamps. Ultimately, it turns out that the business did not work out and they parted ways and it turned out that they will not be working on the business project together. However, being that Rabbi Yitzchak was a true chassid, a true follower of the Rebbe, somebody who truly understood that every encounter must be for a higher purpose, he thought to himself, you know what, I'm meeting this person, I might as well see if I can inspire him to be more Jewish, to do something more Jewish. So we started talking to him about Shabbat. Maybe he wants to start observing Shabbat. And the man was like, forget about it. As they say in Brooklyn, forget about it. It's not going to happen. My store is the busy, my business is the busiest on Shabbat. It's not going to happen. So he's thinking, what else could he talk to him? And then he, after consulting with others, he came back and he said, you know, how about kosher food? Why don't you start embracing more kosher food in your home? And the man looks at Rabbi Nemes and says, absolutely not. My wife will never agree to do it. It's too much work to turn over the kitchen and to change her habits of cooking. Very sorry. You know, I, I personally maybe would do it. My wife would never be interested. Well, Rabbi Yitzchak didn't want to give up and he tried to inspire him as much as he can. And uh, ultimately it looked like he was not having an impact. And they parted ways just a few months later. Turns out that Rabbi Yitzchak Nemes found out that this particular businessman, Mr. Tenkel, went to Belgium with his wife. And unfortunately, during that trip, there was a terrible accident. The woman was killed and he miraculously survived. And after an extended stay in the hospital and rehab, he came home in a wheelchair. When Rabbi Yitzchak heard this news, his heart went out for this fellow Jew and he went to visit him. And when he met him, he said to him, you know, maybe in honor of your wife, you could take a special mitzvah. How about you take the mitzvah of kosher? Let this be a great marriage for the soul of your wife. And the man turned to Rabbi Yitzchak and said, Now? When I don't even have a wife who's going to cook for me? Now I'm going to start keeping kosher? Impossible. As soon as Rabbi Yitzchak Nemes heard those words, he right away took upon himself the commitment to do whatever he can to make this work. Because it sounded to him that this guy was potentially interested in keeping kosher. The only challenge was a technical one. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have someone who could prepare food for him. So that's why he's ordering non-kosher takeout. So Rabbi Yitzchak Nemes said to him, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. On my own expense, every week I will bring you beautiful, delicious, prepared meals that you could enjoy. You could put it in the freezer. And every day, take out one serving and put it in the oven. Everything will be good. The man thought for a moment, Mr. Tenkel. And then he said, you know, all right, fine, we'll do it. Ah. Yitzchak Nemes was so excited, he couldn't believe it. A fellow Jew will start keeping kosher. Now you have to understand something. When this story took place in the 70s, there wasn't mass catering all over New York City, kosher catering. The only place that provided ready meals in New York City that was kosher was a particular company called Schreiber that was in the Bronx. Each meal costed $1.50, which at that time was a lot of money. And even then, it turned out to $40, $50 a month, which was quite a lot of money. Just to put things in perspective, those days, the average monthly salary was $200. 
But still, Rabbi Yitzchak Nehmer didn't ask any questions. He was so excited to have the opportunity to help this Jew keep kosher. Of course, what kind of question is that? The problem now was more of a logistic question. Even if he's going to pay for the meal, who's going to pick up the meal? This man can't go pick it up. He was in a wheelchair. <laughs> What's going to happen? He said, you know what? No problem. I will make the effort. And sure enough, every single Thursday, after a long day at work, he would take the subway all the way to the Schreiber factory in the Bronx. He would buy seven meals. He would pay ten and a half dollars, go back in the train, go all the way to Riverdale, give the food to Mr. Tenkel, and only then, late at night, make it back home to his home in Crown Heights. Now, Rabbi Yitzchak, every week, only bought seven meals for a few reasons. First of all, he couldn't afford more than ten fifty a week. Secondly, it was really hard to schlep on the subway. More meals than that. And finally, he felt that if he only brings seven meals a week, he'll have an excuse every week to go back and visit Mr. Tinkle, give him some encouragement, and maybe bring him closer to Judaism. My friends, this went on for more than a year and a half. We're talking about more than 80 times Thursdays when Mr. Nemes went for a four-hour trip all across New York City, a total of 400 hours over this year and a half, in the freezing cold, in the boiling hot, just to bring these frozen meals to this Jew. One day, after a year and a half, when Rab Nemes walked into this man's home with the meals, the man looks at him and says, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing, but I see it's very hard for you. Maybe you should stop doing this. When Rabbi Yitzhak Nemes heard that, he was so pained. He said, of course not. It's just a joy for me. I'm so happy to have the opportunity to bring it and visit you. But the man kept on giving excuses to try to discourage Rabbi Yitzhak from continuing to bring the food. He says, finally, you know, I'll tell you the truth. It's a little bit salty. Rabbi Yitzchak Nemes was shocked. What do you mean it's salty? It's not tasty? Oh no, why don't you tell me until now? I feel terrible. If you would have told me, I would have told them to put a little less salt. I feel so bad that because of me, you ate salty food for a year and a half. The man looks at him and says, you don't have to worry about it. I didn't have to suffer with salty food. I simply didn't eat it. And as soon as he finished that sentence, he realized he made a big mistake. He quickly covered his mouth, but it was too late. Rabbi Yitzchak said, what? You did not eat the food that I brought you for the last year and a half? It was quiet in the room. It was so tense you could cut the ear with a knife. Suddenly Rabbi Yitzchak realized something. All those hours, hundreds of hours, all that money was for nothing? The man didn't even eat the kosher meal? So what did you do with the food, Rabbi Yitzchak asked? The man didn't want to answer. He was deeply embarrassed. But after Rabbi Yitzchak pushed him and pushed him, he said, I gave it. I gave it to my dog. Silence in that room. I can't even imagine what Rabbi Yitzchak Nemes was thinking in those moments. You don't have to be too smart to realize what he must have felt. 400 hours of travel, hundreds of dollars. You could imagine how he felt. That night, Rabbi Yitzchak went home, exhausted and drained to the core. Not only because it was a long day, but because of the fact that he just realized that his effort for a year and a half seemingly was for nothing. But my friends, Open up your hearts, what happens now? Two years later, join me. It's a Thursday evening. We're sitting in the Nemes household when the phone rings. Mrs. Nemes picks up the phone, and on the phone is the local Chabad organization called Sach, and they said, we're organizing a weekend for college students to come visit Crown Heights. Would you be willing to host a student from the University of Pennsylvania who's coming for the weekend and needs a warm, vibrant Jewish home to stay in to get a taste of Shabbat? Mrs. Nemes said, of course, with pleasure. 
Sure enough, the next day, Friday afternoon, the doorbell rings and there is standing a student. Mrs. Nemes invites him in, gives him some food. It says, come, it's a custom before Shabbat to enjoy some Shabbat food. He said, no, I'm not interested. And he seemed to be very cold. So Mrs. Nemes said, what's the problem? We're not scary. We don't bite. What, what's bothering you? She said, I have to, to explain to you something. I know you think I came here to become super religious. It's not why I came to Crown Heights. I came just to visit, so I don't want to get too comfortable in your home. When Mrs. Nemes heard those words, she smiled and said, don't worry about it. There's no strings attached to the food you're eating. Eat something, no commitments, enjoy. Sure enough, he started eating and he started getting more comfortable. And slowly you could tell the ice was melting a little bit. And finally she said to him, so tell me, what brought you here this weekend? What inspired you to come visit? And she said, he said, like following, my friends, listen to what he said. He said, I did not come here to become close to Judaism. I have absolutely no interest in exploring my Judaism and becoming more religious or more observant. I come from a family that's very distant from religion. In fact, my sister married a non-Jew and I'm not connected at all. The reason why I came here this weekend for this Shabbaton is for one simple reason. Because of a story that I once heard from my grandfather. My grandfather told me that years ago, there was a Jew from this neighborhood that troubled himself for a year and a half, every single week, to bring him seven kosher meals per week. And when I heard this from my grandfather, I was deeply moved. I thought to myself, how could it be that a Jew travels for so many hours and spends so much money just to bring kosher food to another person who is not even related to? And therefore, I've been thinking about this for a while. Since I heard that story, it's always been in my mind. And when I saw a flyer hanging on the campus at the University of Pennsylvania saying, come visit the Hasidic neighborhood of Crown Heights, it hit me. Crown Heights, that's where my grandfather told me the story about. That's where that fellow came from. So I thought, you know what? Let me come check it out. But I want to tell you, I have no interest in Judaism, no interest in religion. I just want to explore and understand more what would motivate a person to do such a thing. He didn't even finish saying the last sentence when all of a sudden Mrs. Nemes said, tell me, was your grandfather's name Mr. Tenkel? And he said, yes, but how do you know? How would you have any idea? And Mrs. Nemes looks at him and says, what do you mean how would I know? My husband, the one whose home you're sitting in, is the one who traveled for hours, hundreds of hours, and spent so much money just to provide kosher food to your grandfather. And now you must be the son of his daughter. Wow. At that moment, there was thick silence in the room. The circle was complete. The mystery was now solved. Now we understand what was the purpose of Rabbi Yitzchak Nemes bringing kosher food to Mr. Tenkel. So one day, his grandson, out of all the homes in Crown Heights, should be sitting in his own home for Shabbat. And my friends, that was a Shabbat to remember. That was a Shabbat when the spark was lit. And after Shabbat, he ended up staying in Crown Heights, went to yeshiva, and today, Mr. Tenkel's grandson lives in Israel with a beautiful family, vibrant, observant, and connected to Torah and to Judaism. So my friends, just open up your hearts, share the love, share the kindness, and miracles will happen.